I am Pastor Mike. Um, you know, I've never been much of a guy who is able to or can create things with his hands. Like, I can't make things out of wood or metal. Other people can. I can't. Home repair is not my forte. Fixing a car, not either. I recognize that, you know, God has designed and gifted all of us in different ways. And for some people, he has gifted them with the skill and knowledge to create things with their hands, which is super awesome and it's super useful. They can make beautiful things with their hands. They give their time and their energy and their sweat. And amazing things are created or restored, whether that be, you know, building tables and chairs, restoring objects or buildings, fixing the leaky pipe, or creating a piece of art. There was one time, one time in my life where I created something with my hands that I was really proud of. It was a painting. It was a self-portrait. I had to take this art class in college, and the assignment was a self-portrait in the pop art style of Andy Warhol. So I took my time, and I meticulously sketched beforehand, and and I painted really slowly, spending, you know, hours and hours and hours on these things. Because it was turning out so well, I was excited. So I spent probably way too much time on this thing than I should have. But I was proud of how it turned out. Would you guys like to see it? No, just kidding. That's not actually it. Here, here's my, here's my, my self-portrait. Thank you. Thank you. You know, the crazy thing is that regardless of how I felt or thought about my painting, which was better than everybody else's, um, the truth is there's always someone on a whole other level, right? Like this guy's self-portrait, Van Gogh. Or one of my favorite artists, his name is Chuck Close. Uh, he's a modern artist who, who just passed away recently. Um, what he does is he uses these like crazy shapes and blobs. And when you're up close to the painting, this is what it looks like. Um, but when, the further you are away from it, the clearer the painting becomes. It's truly incredible. He does a lot of portraits. This is his self-portrait. So what about you? What has been one thing that you've created that you're super proud of? Whether that be, you know, maybe you made something out of wood or metal. Maybe you fixed something, you repaired something, or a piece of art. What is one thing that you created that you're super proud of? What I want you to do is a little participation. I want you to turn to your neighbor now and share what that thing that you're so proud of. Take 30 seconds, share with your neighbor what is one thing you're created that you're proud of.
All right. You know, I am confident. I'm confident that we all have created something that we're very proud of. Things that we pat ourselves on the back for. Because we took the time and the energy and the hard work into creating. But when I read Psalm 19, I realized that when it comes to creation and creating, God is on a whole other level. When, when you consider him and when you consider his creation, it just fills your heart with awe and wonder at the power of God. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through Psalm 19 today. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And I'm going to give you a little context before we start reading here. David is the author. He's the writer. He is the creator of this psalm. And, and I couldn't find a, you know, a particular time period or a specific happening that was going on when he wrote this. But what we do see, we see David just delighting in God. And he's standing in confidence to the faithfulness to the goodness and to the reliability of God, his creation, and his word. So, Lori, I'm going to invite you to come and read the first six verses. I'm going to invite everybody else to please stand up as we read. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. All right, you may be seated. So David's profession was a shepherd, right? Taking care of sheep. So he had plenty of time. Uh, to be in the fields, and he has plenty of time and opportunity because he lived, his outside was his home, and the skies were his roof. So David, he, he considers the heavens and the skies and the stars, and in verse 5 and 6, specifically the sun. And as he, he contemplated, he was just overwhelmed with the glory of God. I mean, anyone else ever just stare up at the stars Maybe not so much in the city, but, you know, when, you, when you're outside in the country and, and you just look up and you see all the stars and, and you see the beauty and you think, man, how did these things get here? How far away are these? How big are these? You know, it's really hard to talk about the sky, isn't it? I want to show you a quick little time-lapse video that I found from National Geographic. So we're going to, um, let's turn off the lights.
It's amazing, huh? It's easy to see the beauty of creation when you look at this, the skies and the stars. You know, the Jewish people, they saw this beauty too. But they knew that creation wasn't the pinnacle. They knew that creation, creation pointed to something bigger, to someone bigger, that it pointed to a creator. And that the creator, he's the one that deserved to be worshipped, not the object created. You know, when David looked around him, he too knew that the existence of creation, the skies and the stars and the sun, well, it all pointed to the existence of creator God. I mean, church, think about it. I mean, our earth, our universe is so complex and so vast, right, that it demands a creator who can do anything who knows everything and can be everywhere. And David, David knew that creation was speaking to all of the people of the earth by the means of his creation. Creation, as we're in Warsby penned, is the wordless book that everyone, every person can read because it needs no translation. And even though creation, as verse 3 tells us, uses no words, no language, and has no voice. God is visible in it. And he's seen in creation. Verse 4 tells us that God in his glory is seen in the skies and the stars and the sun. And when you look at the mountains and the oceans, you're encountering God. When you look at the animals on dry land or animals in, in the waters, you're experiencing God. The Jewish people could never say that they have never heard of God before because creation, creation, it points to God. God being seen in creation is what theologians call general revelation. And the Apostle Paul, he shared this same idea in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. That natural creation is a witness to God. It's even proof of his existence, of his power in nature. So we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament to today that this truth continues to happen. Creation continues to point to creator God, to Elohim. Elohim is a Hebrew word for God. And in that name Elohim, we remember that it is God is the one who began it all. Creating the heavens and the earth, separating light from darkness, water from dry land, day from night. That name Elohim, it contains the idea of God's creative power, his authority, and his sovereignty. You see, that's the name of God used in verse 1 of Psalm 19 that we just read that the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The heavens proclaim the glory of Elohim. You know, when you think about creation, your mind goes to, at least my mind went to Genesis chapter one, right? And we talked about the idea that we know what it's like to create something, to work with our hands, right? To put effort and hard work and time and sweat. That's what it takes for us to create something, right? but let's, create, let's consider God's creative process versus our own. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, then God said, let there be light. 
Verse six, then God said, let there be sky. Verse nine, then God said, let there be dry land and sea. Verse 14, then God said, let there be a sun and a moon. Verse 20, and then God said. Verse 24, then God said. Then God said. Then God said. God said, he just spoke, and creation came forth. There was no sweat from his brow. There's no creation that took him hours upon hours upon hours of physical labor like it does up. He just simply said it. And he simply spoke and it was. I mean, remember the thing that you created that you're so proud of. How long did it take you? How much time and work and effort went into it? And here's the cherry on top, the thing that kind of blew my mind. Did you need material to make your masterpiece? Yeah, right? When you made the table and chairs, you have to have what first? You have to have a piece of wood, right? Right? When you painted the self-portrait, you have to have paint, a brush, canvas, right? To fix the leaky pipe, you got to have the right tools. Probably got to have pipe. Did God need material? No. Not only did God not need to use his hands or hours upon hours or sweat, he didn't need material, no resources, no object to begin with. Theologians call God's creation ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. Out of nothing, God created. It's no wonder that creation, man, it just reveals God's power and his majesty, and his sovereignty. See, you and I and the masterpieces that we created, I mean, they're cool and all, but they're nothing compared to God. God is on a whole other level. And when David saw creation, his only response was awe and wonder and worship of the Creator God. In your FCA flyer that you received this morning, or if you didn't grab one, that's okay. What we're gonna do is we're just gonna spend a moment. Uh, There's some lines in there. What I want you to do is I want you to think through creation. Think of the things that leave you in awe and wonder of creation. Is the mountains? Write mountains down. Is it the ocean? Write oceans down. Is it hippos? Write hippos down. Take some time to think through creation. Make a list of what leaves you in awe and wonder. Let me give you a minute, but go ahead and just think and write a little bit. Okay, go.
creation pointing to creator God is it's truly wonderful. And day and night, God speaks and pours himself out onto people, to us. But as wonderful as that is, it's limiting when it comes to revealing the character and the attributes of God himself. Well, who exactly is this creator? What is the purpose of creation? What's our purpose? What should we be doing? See, creation doesn't, and it can't reveal that. So we need something beyond general revelation, and that something is the inspired word of God. David moves from praising God for his voice in nature to this next section of Psalm 19, when David praises God for his voice in Scripture. I'm going to invite you to stand one more time here um, as we read this next section. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, making giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. You go ahead and be seated. <laughs> when David wrote about creation, he used the name Elohim, which we already talked about this. Elohim speaks of God's great creative power, which was used in verse 1. But when David speaks of God, starting in verse 7, David now switches, and now he uses the covenant name Jehovah, which speaks of God's special relationship with his people. You see, the God of creation, the God of general revelation, is the God of personal revelation or special revelation. God, in written form, is communicating to specific people at a specific time in a specific place. You see, Israel was a very special nation, a special people chosen by God to, to receive law, the covenants of God, and the promises of God. The Bible, the scriptures, it reveals God's character. It tells us who he is, what he did, what he continues to do. The Bible, it reveals creation's purpose. It reveals our purpose. And as David stands in awe and wonder at the word of God, he shares with us the power and the beauty of scripture. Did you guys catch all the different words he used for scripture? He used the words instructions and decrees and commandments, commands, reverence, law. He emphasized scripture over and over and over. And why? Because David knew that scripture is different than creation. Scripture could do what the sky and the stars and sun can't. Scriptures tell us who God is. It tells us what he has done, what he will do. Scriptures, it gave everyday practical advice to the Jews. It told them what to eat, what to wear, how to keep clean. The scripture tells us what to do and what not to do. 
The scriptures tells us who we are and, and why we're created and what our relationship with God could be like. It even tells us our future as it reveals God's judgment on people and nations, rewards for those who are faithful, punishment for those who are disobedient. Scripture, the Bible, it tells us all of that. David also knew that Scripture was different than creation and that creation Creation doesn't revive the soul. It doesn't make wise the simple. It doesn't give joy to the heart. It doesn't give insight to living. But Scripture does. And Scripture is worth more. It is more desirable, as David said, than gold. Sweeter than honey, a great reward. I want to read you a portion of this Psalm 19 from the Message Bible, just because it says it a little differently, and it gives us a little bit of an understanding here of what David's trying to communicate. Let me read this to you. It says, the revelation of God is whole, and it pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. The life maps of God are right showing the way to joy. The directions of God are plain and, and easy on the eyes. God's reputation is 24 karat gold with a lifetime guarantee. The decisions of God are accurate down to the nth degree. God's word is better than diamond, better than a diamond set between emeralds. You'll like it better than strawberries in spring better than ripe, red, ripe strawberries. And there's more. God's word, it warns us of dangers and directs us to hidden treasure. Otherwise, how will we find our way or know when we play the fool? As nature points to God, the Bible reveals God to us. It reveals his nature and his character and his purposes. And David, he saw this correlation between creation and the Bible and it just filled his heart with a song, with worship. Creation to get our attention of God and then the Bible to show us, to teach us who God is. And when we experience and when we encounter God, this next part of Psalm 19 happened. David, he, he poetically speaks of his response to God, the conversion of his heart. So for one last time, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to read uh, the final three verses of Psalm 19. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart cleanse me from these hidden faults? Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my heart or my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This ends the reading of his God's word. You may be seated. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. 
David, he saw who he really was when he considered God. When he looked at creation, when he studied the word, David found himself lacking. A perfect God, it makes you realize how imperfect you are. David knew that he was a broken, sinful person. Verse 12, how can I know all this sin lurking in my heart? You see, this is what happens when you encounter God Almighty. When the prophet Isaiah encounters God, his response was the same. Isaiah 6, 5, how can I know all, sorry, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. When the disciple Peter encountered Jesus and recognized him as God, same response. Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm a sinful man. The first thing that occurs when you encounter God is you recognize how imperfect you are, how unholy you are. You recognize that God is on a whole other level than you. And now for some people, you know, that, that scares them. And it confuses them. And they don't know what to do with their sin. They don't know what to do with God. For some people, they don't want to be under the authority of God. They don't want to have to answer to God. They don't want to be held accountable to an infinite superior being. So instead of running towards God... They run the opposite way, and they shut down, and they kind of close their eyes and their minds and their hearts, and they simply don't choose to follow God. It's beyond all logic and reason. But David, Isaiah, Peter, and my prayer for you and I, that when we encounter God and when we experience him, that when we face our own sins, that it leads us to repentance. That we cry out like David did. That we cry out for, for forgiveness. The second half of verse 12, cleanse me from these hidden faults. David desired holiness. To be pure, to be without sin. David did not want sin in his life. Verse 13, keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. David longed to be free from the power of sin in his life. That's sanctification, church family. Right? David wanted to be set apart. That's what David longed for. Verse 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. David ends this chapter by calling God his rock and redeemer. You see, church, Jesus is our redeemer, and he came to this world as a perfect, spotless lamb. And he died on the cross because of our sin, because of your sin and because of my sin. And the only way for our sins to be dealt with to be paid for, and he willingly laid down his life so that we could be free. 
Jesus was willing to do all of that because he loves you. I mean, isn't it crazy to think that the God who created the stars, the sky, the heavens, the sun, is the same God who loves you immensely. And you can personally know him through his word, his holy scripture. God is not hidden from you. He's visible, and you can know him. You can know what he desires. You can know why he created you and your purpose. It's all found right here. You don't have to wonder. In church family, as we consider creation, as we encounter and experience God in his holy word, I pray that we too can be like David and that we just stand in awe and wonder at the glory of God. I just want to leave you a little bit of time to reflect here. Give you some time to converse with your creator God who loves you. If God is prompting your heart in some way, then please go with it. But I do have some questions up here to consider. How can you engage God in his creation this week? Maybe in your FCA flyers, write down a little action plan. The second question, how can you personally engage God in his word this week? Write down a little action plan. My third question, how can you engage in worshiping him this week? So church family, take some time, reflect, Spend some time talking to your creator, God.